Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton. And today, I'm joined by film and content specialist Cam Maitland and podcaster and film and comic book nerd Batula Neal. The perfect ensemble is hard to assemble. The scheduling alone seems like a nightmare. But for some reason, in 2010, someone yelled, Assemble! And although The Avengers was still two years away from release, it's a big year for action ensemble movies. Aside from our two movies today, Red and The Expendables, there is The Losers, which has a similar plot to The Expendables. An elite group goes into the jungle on a mission and stuff goes sideways with Zoe Saldana, Idris Elba, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. There's even The A-Team movie starring Liam Neeson. With so many big personalities and so little movie runtime, Petula, what do you want to get out of one of these movies? What makes you stand up and cheer for these? Adequate screen time for people who aren't the lead to have interactions. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, not the Bechdel, but like other Dell. The Buddy Dell. I like those moments. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I like the moments when the, hey, yeah. it's that person, actors get to interact and have a moment because uh, mm. those are often sometimes the most entertaining because we know what our leads are going to do when they cast people in these movies. Uh, they're doing what they're doing. Maybe not always crawling through uh, air ducts, but they're giving that energy uh, for the <laughs> other people that you see show up in these. It's always a moment of joy. Like, Oh, I forgot Brian Cox was in this. Let's, let's let him cook for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I get what you mean. Like for me, the 2000s gold standard of any of these kinds of movies is the original Ocean's Eleven. I think it is perfect the way they introduced all the characters. The cast is amazing of like these generational actors. Like who brought in Elliot Gould with the giant glasses? Well done, my friends. Well, later on, we're going to find out who <laughs> did bring Elliot Gould because he's responsible for one of, one of our other movies today. Um, but like that movie is perfect for knowing when to leave Danny Ocean in the stupid romantic plot line that they just needed for Julia Roberts and Andy Garcia off to the side, right? You want to watch the do the heist you want to watch everybody do their thing in their different parts right that's kind of the fun part of it yeah i, I mean i think that yeah you're right it's like the 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 whole is better than the sum of the parts and usually you're right too that the lead is not worth much of anything they have a boring plot and i think both of these movies as well are like um pretty good comedic showcases for action people and serious actors sometimes in ways that are mm. pretty charming and and I think that, that that that's kind of a through line. There's not many dead serious uh, group action films because that's not a dynamic. Who needs that? Who needs who needs uh, interpersonal drama? Really, right? I don't know. Well, when we get into. Um... Uh, the Expendables, Stallone wanted to make his own version of Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, which I mean, Peckinpah is like kind of an like I can see it. I want to I want to say I can see it. Sure. Um, but also Peckinpah's sense of humor is 
present. Yeah. But god damn, it is like bone dry amidst all like the vast amounts of violence. Sure. But I was going to say, it's still a pretty funny movie, The Wild Punch, until they all, the, the, the spoiler ending. But uh, I think that they're having fun. <laughs> they're, they're, they're having fun on the way. It's what makes Do them wild. Do I pay attention to any of like, the drama that happens on set? Like, Does that affect how you watch the movie? Or do you just kind of go into the movie watching these characters as characters as opposed to who the actors are that are playing them and however they would interact? I try to avoid it. Does that I'd make sense? In 2010, I was much less aware. Yeah. Thanks to the internet not yet being the mm. informative and mm. entertaining hellscape that it is currently. <laughs> uh, we didn't have yeah. as much behind the scenes like, <laughs> oh, say, for example, yeah. Fury Road. Maybe they didn't all get along great. Uh, so it was easier to go in with a certain amount of uh, naivete yeah. and assume that everybody had as much fun as it looks like they're having in the night throwing scene in the bumper for instance yeah yeah i mean unless it's like a weird uh I, like i remember what we'll get into the expendables like some of the like whoa these guys together for the first time uh but other than that yeah i mean i always think of like the the recent various fast and furious dramas too where it's like now those are almost hard to watch because you're like these guys hate each <laughs> other and like you know that if the rock ever shows up again you're like wow they either paid him a lot or yeah, so, yeah exactly. Pro. I was just thinking is that Vin Diesel apologized to everyone. <laughs> and there's, I mean, when you call yeah. someone a candy ass, there's no going back from that. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, that you're right. It is. It, even though 2010, it's not like there was no Internet. It was definitely a different kind of Internet. And, and it was still, I guess, the... Uh, Sorry to bring it up, like, ain't it cool news era of, like, so you would get very controlled set leaks that were basically, like, PR in the form of news. So it would be, like, gently love Stallone, you know? It would all be yeah, very and the, pleasant. And the fan areas were so sweet and well-meaning. Like, the one ring.net, remember that? It was just love on love on yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> No, now that we have uh, oral histories, I love them. They're great for my job, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's everyone's job, I guess. <laughs> Back in the day, we used to just think well, it was also, pleasant. now people either are, like, doing some sort of, um, like, vacation with their best friends in an ensemble film, like the grown-ups sure. movies. I mean, um, uh, a perfect example of this, of course, is the, the multiple Expendables franchises. Who do we want to hang out in the middle of, like, sure. South America, Costa Rica with, you know? Um, yeah. Or they end up, ro end up hating each other or they end up romantically involved. Like, that's really your only options. Sure. Yeah, where's the romance in these movies? Come on. <laughs> well, actually, I think with Red, that is a very, very good point. Where is the romance? Fair, so fair. let's get into our first movie. Now, in this season's tradition of wonderful bitchety snippets from one Mr. Ebert, here he opens his two-star review with, if the name Ernest Borgnine sounds familiar, here's the movie for you. Now, I don't actually agree with how much Raj despised this movie. I think it's got some solid moments. But then again, I am someone who actively discusses is Ernest Borgnine in my day-to-day -day conversations. Now, regardless of the frankly brutal reviews, Vanity Fair called it the most disappointing movie of the year. It made a lot of money, enough to get a sequel. It's also an entry into the graphic novel to screen adaptation boom of the 2000s that we haven't really gotten into yet. Uh, Petula, do you think this translated from graphic novel to screen well? Well, I didn't read the graphic novel for this one. Uh, I was considering it but i find when i'm going to talk about a movie then i end up often favoring the written 
whether it's book or graphic novel. Mm -hmm. So similar to sure. Old Guard, when I saw it was coming out and I hadn't read the comic yet, I waited for the movie and then read the comic. So for this one, didn't even read the comic first. Yeah. Totally fair. We want to give people a very, very brief uh, plot summary on this one, please. In a now heartbreakingly meta performance, uh, Bruce Willis <laughs> as <Yeah>. the <laughs> agent who's been told he's too old but described as the best to ever do it. And what he does isn't very nice. So think Wolverine, but former CIA agent. And he tears up his pension checks every month just to call a girl on the phone. Uh, moving on from his entry as the saddest, loneliest guy who gets up to do sit-ups in his basement every day, <laughs> we see that for some reason, despite the fact that he's living a quiet life, somebody's decided to put out a kill notice on him. And the movie proceeds to be a travel by map, series of adventures, intercut with beautiful postcard graphic work. Whoever did the graphics on the little postcards, you know, it shouts mm, to you. Yeah. I don't know if you got the recognition you deserve back then. <laughs> As Bruce Willis goes and meets up with his old friends, including uh, somebody to look up identities uh, based on fingertips he's cut off and brought over in a bag, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich mm. as basically John Malkovich. <laughs> Helen Mirren, also the best to ever do it and still giving a lot. And Mary Louise Parker, as we mentioned before, uh, Brian Cox as Helen Mirren's ex and Carl Urban being his best. Carl Urban also giving us a little bit of that... The young guy who can see his future and doesn't kind of want to deal with it yet. TLDR, shenanigans ensue. Old people manage to <laughs> magically evade capture and murder multiple times, except for Morgan Freeman's character. It's okay they kill the black guy first because he's got a terminal disease. And everything wraps up nicely. And in a refreshing change of pace, instead of the bad actors being uh, stereotypes of people based outside north america it's that the government was evil yeah. all along yeah yeah that was really good True. thank you patula um, i'm glad that you brought up the morgan freeman <laughs> thing because even at the time uh we had chanana reeve do on the show earlier earlier this season and and she talks about the sacrificial sacrificial negro and a hundred percent that's what this is and even roger ebert calls out of being like so of course morgan freeman dies but it's okay that he dies because he's sacrificing himself for everybody else and he's okay with that so like even then it's not cool and he quotes morgan freeman saying that he really likes being the villain in movies because at least he gets to make it to the end and it's like, oh, Morgan, I'm sorry, Oof. bud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unless they let that him narrow. very rough for somebody with us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you know what? True. Maybe I would have. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this movie would have just been that little bit better had it all like been in his head all along, and then he turns into his god character from like Bruce Almighty at yeah. the end, and he's like, "That's right, I set them all in motion." I will say I'd seen this before, and I forgot that he actually dies. Like I was like, "Ah, he's coming back," and then he didn't come back. It uh, brought a little uh, mistiness to my eyes. Yeah, I, uh, I. Uh, I forgot that. It's very odd, though. Um, and it was like kind of a Morgan Freeman renaissance, too. And he's yeah, truly I, not in the I movie mean, that much. He's obviously probably um, the least yeah. mobile. Uh, this was one of. Yeah. He is the oldest, I think. He's in his 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And he has had that uh, hand injury for years. So he's not able to um, mm -hmm. do that much. I wish they would just acknowledge it and then sort of have some kind of 
mm-hmm. you know, visibility of how you work around things like that. But instead, they kind of yeah. try to obscure it. They do the sort of cutaway and then like he magically <laughs> survives shenanigans uh, like they do with a lot of older actors now. And in a way, it's better. I don't want to see kind of the Sam Jackson's older body with younger face, Captain Marvel lumbering down a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. De-aged Robert De Niro yeah. pretending to well, be 20 years we're, old. We're yeah, literally talking about Tron Legacy next episode in the very last episode. And the de-agification oh, sure. of, um, of Jeff Bridges is one that people defend because it's like he's in the Tron world. So he's digital. And it's like, no, no, no. Uh-huh. It's just bad. <laughs> like, we need to be all clear. This just does not work. And it's weird. Yeah. I, I like that. That they planned their yeah. sort of final attack hurting the president into their desired choke point in a way that it allowed all of them to mm-hmm. sort of just shamble around what was obviously the royal york here in toronto yeah it, yeah. it was, this yes. doesn't even try to hide being like the most toronto movie yeah. that ever did brian toronto. cox taking uh, the elevator yeah, yeah. slowly walking out and then walking back in it's like mm-hmm. yes embrace the fact that you have older characters like not everyone's liam neeson not everyone's mm-hmm. tom cruise like let them walk yeah yeah, yeah yes let them walk yeah. thank you patula <laughs> i i know uh 100 i've heard samuel L. jackson say that he uh does not run in films anymore and for about 10 years he's like no running <laughs> And that's like, because he's like, people think it's badass, but I just don't want to run anymore. I'm an old man. (laughs) Well, the the budget on this was $60 million. And for an action film, like especially a 2010 action film, as we've mentioned previously, this is the year of the franchise. Harry Potter is winding up. Percy Jackson's going. Like everything's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, This budget is almost entirely assigned to the actors. Like it was just them throwing money Mm -hmm. to make sure we could get the people that they wanted to get. Do you think that money was well spent? And were these all of the actors that should be there? And did people come to see these actors? I think so. I mean, I know that one thing to that's worth bringing up because now she's kind of <laughs> it seems normal is it was very very unusual to have Helen Mirren at the time. Uh, not that she didn't do action; she's obviously in White Knights and stuff in the eighties. Uh, yeah, I think that she was kind of a weird one. Brian Cox probably also a little unusual. Brian Cox is also weirdly uh, he's a guy that looks older than he is. I think he was only in his forties in this movie, um, and. Uh, yeah, but some of it works really well. I think Malkovich, like you say, is amazing. Uh, just having the time of his life. I think I, I can understand why people don't love the Mary Louise Parker character, but I think she's quite funny. I think she does quite good pulling off the weirdness of the role. I, I like um, the fact that yeah, she's so only I don't know. 16 I don't years know. younger than Bruce Willis. So it's not like a bananas mm, age difference. No, no, no. It's perfectly reasonable. No. And she does make yeah. fun of him. She's yeah. like, you are old. <laughs> I expected you to have hair. (laughs) Yeah. You were also on the phone (laughs) with a pensioner, though, Mary Louise Parker. So, like, adjust your expectations. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Is that my bag? Yeah. You you packed it? Yes. Did 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 you vacuum? A little, yeah. It was messy. Yeah, I do like that they're everyone's kind of willing to poke fun at themselves in in a way that's pretty charming. But yeah, I do think I think ultimately it's obviously probably just sold as kind of a Bruce Willis movie, but he he's working harder than he had for a while. I think that this is right after Cop. This is the same time. It? Literally and the same like, time. Yeah. 
yeah, would famously his most phoned in movie of all time. Yeah, so, he was spending a lot know. of time in Toronto around then. It was a weird period where I would occasionally just spot Bruce Willis ambling around Toronto, and I felt I felt safer. Like, wow. Like, <laughs> if, if there's ducks to crawl through, this is the man who has the experience, and he will. Mm. Do I think it. we're all right. Like Bruce Willis is here. Some sort of international event happens. I think Toronto's okay right now. There was like a smooth three or four summers where you just like could not not see Bruce Willis somewhere. Do you feel the same way about Schwarzenegger being seen riding around on his bike with no helmet in downtown Toronto? (laughs) I think I would feel worried. Like I would, I would think that I was having a a fit or something if I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger drive by on a bicycle. Well, Patula, what do you think? How do you th- what do you think of the draw of this? And if you saw this in 2010, was that a draw for you? Any Bruce Willis movie was a draw for me back then. Still, I think I was hard in the paint, even for some of the not great ones. Hmm. Uh, and it is that ability that he has to just sort of silently harumph. <laughs> yes it's mm. it's the comedic timing in that he's doing not a lot and again mm. now we're all probably going back and trying to figure out what year maybe some of his issues were affecting his performances more but i feel like here it was yeah. probably the beginning of him just realizing i'm getting older so he was still like sort mm-hmm. of the young person out of the crew of old people but he was at least acknowledging aches and pains in a way that we hadn't really seen his character do on screen unless it was third act and the white tank had turned dirt brown and the feet were full of glass like he was giving um walking on broken glass in the morning taking his meds in act one Mm -hmm. versus (laughs) taking Mm -hmm. many beatings and fights to get there so i liked that i like seeing Helen Mirren, I think, figured out early what a lot of uh, actresses, maybe it took them a little longer to discern, hey, I might get something to do besides being someone's mother or grandmother if I, you know, get into some of these Mm -hmm. weird action movies or comic book movies instead of always trying to look for, you know, period work in a corset. Also, Mm -hmm. she's probably a lot more comfortable (laughs) than she she was in her Catherine the Great Get Up or something. Yeah, totally. Well, all yeah. the interviews at the time talk about, oh, my God, we got the queen because she was coming right off of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but apparently, like a lot of the stuff when the director was watching it, he actually wanted to cut out all of her action scenes, including her firing the machine guns, uh, that plot line with her and um, Brian, Cox. Uh, Brian Cox about. Yeah, yeah. Brian Cox about uh, taking about the romance plot line. that was all going to be cut. So it was meant to be stunt casting and giving her nothing to do. And Bruce Willis was like, do you have any idea how sexy? this woman is when she fires a weapon and people Mm. are going to come in and that was what a lot of the reviews said is like she is crazy sexy in this movie which she is when brian cox scoops her up in his arms (laughs) (laughs) i I believe the term from uh another show that kind of reminds me of this in a way archer sploosh it was just (laughs) like i'm loving (laughs) these people of an age above 40 looking mm. like they might go home and you know celebrate accordingly after a big win like this i mean yeah. her injury is not a great place for that but you know i'm sure after they staunch the blood <laughs> blow she'll be fine 
You know what? She yeah. gets up and moves pretty easily the next day, so I'm sure she's mm. fine. She's probably got a lot of scar tissue in various places in her body, so that bullet probably didn't lodge too far. Yeah. And then our real bad guys True. ending up being Richard Dreyfus and Julie McMahon. I'm like, how Mr. Holland and Nip Tuck, like, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it at the time. I'd legit forgotten. So watching it again now, oh, yeah. oh, oh, it was who did the yeah. casting? And to your point, yes, obviously, all the money is in casting, it wasn't in, uh, sets or any kind of other cg work it was i mean there was some good i'd say if anything the stunt team probably had more to do in protecting the actors than uh you know making it mm. look super crazy even the roll down the hill that uh mary louise does that doesn't look like but i don't know if it was her oh, stunt yeah. person or her but <laughs> no that was like quite yeah. a tumble that was a real like laura ingalls kind of situation so you know mm. <laughs> <laughs> All in all, like I can see where the money was spent. I like that they, you know, just acknowledged, let's make it more funny than action, but let's make the action really sparse and precise mm. and well-planned. It was easy to follow these scenes. Yeah. A lot of stuff's happening in daytime. This isn't a lot of like creeping totally. in from the shadow stuff. This is how probably older people would operate. Like, let's come up with a brazen plan that just allows mm. us to walk in the front door versus climbing up the side of a building. It was probably one of the most yeah. plausible of any bruce willis film ever I, the, the <laughs> only scene that really was like really sir really was the hand-to-hand -hand in the office with carl urban however he oh, came in had the element of surprise and also fought really dirty when he flips up that table and yeah. then like punches through it that was that was yeah oh my god so it's good. a great scene bruce willis actually apparently yeah. did smack him like he went a little harder than carl urban was yeah. ready for what was happening and carl urban had to be like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. we gotta stop like, this is too yeah. much and i saw bruce willis say that that's the that, that is the most elaborate fight scene he's ever done on film he I said that that's like the hardest fight he ever did which is cool yeah and i you know what it's worth saying i think for both of these movies that yeah, the, the way you're saying that it's like comprehensively shot and laid out, it's wild how much we've lost that in the intervening yeah. 10 years. Like both of these films feel refreshingly shot and like they're not cutting away from much action. Uh, like the fight scenes, there's like two or three cuts, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of sad, actually, how much both of these were like, yeah, What's these are What's interesting great. to me is that these people aren't necessarily good people either, and we're still cheering for them. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like now we don't do that. Someone has to be like, they can be like, you know, a little bit of a bad boy with a wink, but like you don't have reprehensible mm -hmm. people as the heroes anymore in this scale of film. Yeah, I think that that's a yeah. Hollywood thing, because when you were talking, I, I know you prepped us a bit about the graphic novel and that that's very much like you're, you're coming to call of like you made me this yeah. and, stuff. you know, kind of the classic hitman. But there's something about Hollywood. Hollywood loves a they love a charming hitman assassin. Uh, they like them to get away with it. I don't know. It's it's not the same thing. But yeah, if you read a book or something and somebody's. You know, like a Helen Mirren, she's an assassin. She she's not even a spy. She the just second kills movie people. opens with her dissolving uh, yeah. a body in a bathtub. <laughs> like you know, you you know who these people are. Well, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but it, it is weird because you do, yeah, you just write it off. But I feel like I'm so used to that, and like you know, gross point blank or whatever. You're just uh, you like a hitman.
Don't we all? Don't we all love a hitman? There's Okay, so I want to get into the graphic novel and the difference here just for a second. And so this is, of course, as we mentioned, the golden age of the graphic novel. Um, we talked about Kick-Ass earlier this season and how that film was very much shot simultaneously with the graphic novel coming out and then the movie coming out here. Um, this was a graphic novel that had been bouncing around for a long time, and it came through the DC channels. And DC, Marvel movies were already going. We're the same year as Iron Man 2 right now, and Mickey Rourke making his kind of third resurgence which we will be discussing in our next film sure. um, but the book is written by Warren Ellis and illustrated um, by uh, Cully Hamner we're going to put a pin in Warren Ellis because uh, a lot of terrible things have since been revealed about him and he is not a nice man so we're mm. just going to put that one to the side however the book um, is actually about the the Bruce Willis character who uh, is kind of getting attacked for no reason in that the head of the CIA has now decided that he needs to remove any trace of any wrongdoing that the Americans ever did and that Bruce Willis and his uh, Bruce Willis's character um, would committed these like horrible horrible war crimes in South America that in the movie the vice president is um, accused of doing so Bruce Willis actually did this and so they're mm -hmm. trying to take out Bruce Willis so it is like a revenge plot of like if you're not going to leave me in peace I'm going to take you guys out and someone described it as like this bitter sardonic libertarian take on like the American population written by a guy from the UK. Um, it's really mm. brutal and really vicious. None of these characters really exist. It's not an ensemble piece. It's very much like for one person. So to take this or to, to take that graphic novel and turn it into this like fun romp with all of these people that you have come up with and you love, like you've seen them in movies for years, is such a weird turn. And then on top of that, to decide to make it PG-13 instead of R is just like what was DC trying to do to be able to compete with Marvel? Because Marvel is very much a PG-13 kind of mm. world, right? Well, I'll say that the the Losers you mentioned is also a DC yes. comic uh, that you mentioned earlier, the ensemble. But yeah, I think, I mean, PG instead of R is just classic Hollywood. <laughs> you want more mm. people to watch it. Um, and and R-rated action had been kind of uh, out for a bit. But yeah, I... I I just think they just wanted to make more of a Hollywood popular movie, to be honest. That's what it seems like. Any change of comic book IP to make it more mass appeal, it's always the money. It's it's not. I don't think I've mm. ever heard of it ever being an artistic or story choice. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes they dial things. I'm not even saying down, but sideways now, just because some of the material in the original mm. comic book is so much darker. It's almost easier to get away with stuff in comic books especially if you're adapting older material mm -hmm. so if you think of things like the boys like season one even uh sure. i think starlight had her time in the show <laughs> don't don't yeah the comic book is yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway yes, yes. I know that's that's a classic one where people are like if you like the show yeah. don't read the comic <laughs> like, yeah yeah so I, I feel like there's always those changes that they make just always there's a blanket less sexuality of any kind just because mm. they can only show more violence as long as you don't show blood yeah. or exit wounds like the holes you can show blood on the back yeah. of like a skirt but you can't show you know some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about in the next movie yeah uh no sex no fucks yeah. can't happen yes. yeah so or if there is any kind of uh, amorous interaction i think it's like a back then i think they had still like a two pump limit i think if you got to like a like an extra thrust <laughs> yeah. then yeah, like oh, it's probably. game over yeah 
Yes. Yeah. Wow. Talk about a whole generation that's taught to be yeah. very unsatisfied. Tangent. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But no, that's something I noticed as well here, too, is that the. This should be a hornier film. Totally too. Well, yeah. the Mary Louise Parker character and the Bruce Willis character, even though they are, they are clear they are attracted to each other, they would like to be together, they hug. But it's not an intimate hug and there's no kissing, which I was like, that's weird. I wonder yeah. why. I wonder. Yeah. I, I wonder if maybe they tried it and it didn't work because, I mean, it is a, an odd situation where she is resistant. You know, it's that kind of classic trope. She's a but, hostage uh, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. She's a hostage. So I think that they maybe kind of soften it to be like, they'll see where this goes. Yeah. I like that there was some distance in the like mm. back of the car credits kiss from her being yeah. restrained and taped up and yeah. So that she yes, didn't immediately exactly. want to, that's a bit, you know, the, the bad stuff from the eighties. Yeah. It's like kidnapping is it good. It did though. seem like when they got into the creation of this, any of the interviews I was reading in the making of, they were saying that the plot was a bit of a mess because they were adapting it. So all over the place and trying to get the rating, but making sure that all of these people got screen time mm-hmm. and then adding all these characters. Um, like the Richard Dreyfus thing was added. It was supposed to be a post credit scene. And then they were like, Oh no, this actually has to be the end of the movie. Cause that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, I'm not entirely sure where they had ended it, but apparently it was just like a a mess of plot points. And you were just watching people do cool, weird stuff that you love. Sure. But I think it works. And I I will, without revealing much proprietary information, I know this is still a very popular film among our viewers. Uh, So, like, I think it's held up the test of time, oddly, considering it's, uh, like you say, not, not very kindly reviewed. Though it was, it was nominated for a Golden Globe, I saw. Which is kind Although of wild we for an action like... movie. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean Well, much. this is the same yeah, yeah, year yeah. we talked about it Fair. in Burlesque. This is the year where it was kind of revealed as being shenanigans because uh, that's what uh, sure. Burlesque got nominated for. And The Tourist got nominated for multiple Golden Globes because oh, they yes, gave them the a tourist. free share concert. I argue yes. Burlesque deserves the... more love than The Tourist <laughs> deserves, but not this episode. <laughs> Oh, yes, the tour. Uh, no one's going to argue for the tour. Don't worry. I also think the change that they made that's really different and weird to me is that so in the film, RED is an acronym and it stands for Retired uh, Extremely Dangerous, which I'm like, okay, that's kind of cute. But the book, it just means he's deactivated. Like it's RED versus Green. Um, but I love how yeah. far they took this acronym. So, like in the soundtrack, um, all 20 cues on it, there's Christoph Beck, of course. Um, it, it, they're all titled RED, but they are like rotating enforcement device. Regular, easygoing dudes rehash every detail. So they made sure everything had R-E-D in the titles of them. And then, of course, we love our um, weird retitling of movies in other countries. Uh, And in Bulgaria, this movie was distributed under BSP, which my apologies for my Bulgarian pronunciation, of Bezni Strazni Pensi, which means furious, frightful pensioners, but also is the abbreviation of the Bulgarian Socialist Party, which old people would vote for. So it's kind of doing double duty there i'm like that's delightful i feel like we need it we need an ffs coming up furious fright fright uh frightful pensioners under all the great casting i almost forgot to mention mrs kim from gilmore girls emily corona is in here right oh, yeah like- one of the one of the only times i've seen her in a thing <laughs> yeah. i think too what a throw off to me yeah wow yeah i, I loved so it safe when i saw her i was like okay so everyone's just gonna be amazing like even somebody who shows up for one minute yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so let's get back into um, uh, Helen Mirren just for a moment here. Uh, I love that she went to various, uh, all the Comic-Cons and all that and was uh, promoting the film wearing Harvey Picard shirts because she was trying to promote the very idea of the graphic novel as an art form. Um, do we feel like in 2010 that needed to happen? Like that we we weren't totally aware that it was kind of a thing unto itself? Like I think Sin City is like 2007. Ghost World is 2001. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think they're into it. If you know, I mean, I, I don't know how much I've trumped on it so far, but after the 2008 recession, Hollywood got so invested in intellectual property uh, that I think that, yeah, there was no safe graphic. No- I don't think you can make a graphic novel these days without some producer or sniffing around but I, I think it's good and if she's bringing uh viewership to american splendor and they're very great american splendor movie why she's not just yeah. trying to elevate it so i don't think it's that it needed for the audience at comic-con that kind of visibility i think she's aware of who she is and that she spans a pretty broad base of fans across the world even and ages and mm. gender so for her to say to maybe women her age that maybe have only seen her things on, you know, numbers one through four of the BBC, hey, you might want to check some <laughs> of these out. Maybe not all of them, but some of these have good stories. It's just they're told, you know, with, mm. you know, images in color and a little less text. As an adaptation of a graphic novel, um, we're talking about Kick-Ass, like I mentioned earlier in the season, and that very much is taking like stills of comic books. It has a very like comic booky sort of feel. Here, the action, you see a little bit of that, but I think this is more cinematic. It's had some fun camera moves and stuff that I figured were comic book related. I don't know. Like the, I liked the uh, bullets on the frying pan early on. That seemed very visual in its own way this guy was coming out uh the director robert schwenke who's like who knows uh he's coming out flight plan which i feel like was a very visually weird movie lots of zooming around and hey, i don't know I, I without having read the graphic novel i don't know uh what maybe are the visuals but it was i think I in some, some of fun. the production design and a lot of what they did with morgan freeman's character like he had the tracksuit when he was at the home in louisiana Mm. and then he had this sort of garish like i'm a dictator like dictator but make it fancy so Mm -hmm. his character had a lot of the kind of looks that i would expect to see in a panel where you have enough maybe visual difference but you want maybe one or two characters to really pop in a scene same with carl urban just basically being menacing guy in a suit you know, so you would see that kind of character <laughs> mm-hmm. often like in profile and shadow and kind of, you know, observing and just advancing uh, the him sliding down the back window of the car when he's chasing them away from the Royal York, that sort of face slide, whether or not it was in the graphic novel that a couple of those shots, I was like, this is kind of giving comic book, but it wasn't really. I think the losers tried harder, but arguably that Mm. perhaps affected some of their other uh, attempts at cohesion. All right. Well, let's get into our second movie, which is all about the action and less about the comedy. It's The Expendables, and that's coming up after the break. (laughs) 
There are few actors of a certain vintage who know their audiences as well as Sylvester Stallone. While other actors have achieved longevity by constantly reinventing themselves for new audiences, thanks someone like John Travolta, Stallone has found a way to repackage the same thing over and over again in ways that not only retain his audience that was cultivated in the 70s, but invites new viewers for bigger explosions, more brutal kills, and that wafting miasma of machismo that he does so well. The Expendables is the perfect example of how savvy Stallone is, including one moment that had no explosions that I'm sure many in the crowd went bananas over. Was this worth expending your time? Cam, what do you think? Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I remember at the time being somewhat disappointed by this film, but I think in retrospect, like we were saying, it's well-filmed, it's kind of silly, it's fun action. I'm not mad at it, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's about what you would expect. It's a, just a typical kind of mercenaries uh, tasked with doing a thing. Uh, in, in this case, it's Sylvester Stallone is leading these mercenaries. Uh, it's The main mercenaries are Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Jet Li, and Dolph Lundgren. Uh, you start off with a botched uh, caper where Lundgren is uh, kicked off the team. Um, and then they are eventually sent to this uh, South American made-up nation <laughs> uh, to uh, do they, they kind of shady stuff. They don't really know what they're doing. Uh, they, they realize eventually that they are sent uh, by uh, a CIA agent to essentially assassinate a rogue CIA agent. Um, and then they're, they're back and forth uh, struggling with uh, whether, you know, what's right? What, what do you do? What's uh, good? And then they're inspired on the way by Sandra, a, a revolutionary uh, who is captured by the bad guys. Um, uh, but is, yeah, maybe she's more passionate than they are. And, and what is it all for? But of course, all that doesn't really matter. It's mostly about cracking jokes and... You know, Dolph gets hired by the baddies. Uh, they also have Terry Crews. Yeah, Steve Austin uh, yeah. is there. I think, I mean, this for me yeah. is like textbook why Stallone is a fucking genius. Like, I'm sorry, this man is insane. Like, not only did he bring back all of these people that, like, people should would be totally cheering to see, but, like, he's got wrestlers in there. He's got uh, um, MMA fighters. Mm -hmm. He's got Terry Crews, who was an NFL star. And this is before um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, when, like, you could really see how funny and incredible actor yeah. he is. Oh, yeah. This was Terry Crews basically being from the the yes. old spice, oh, which know? may this I is, please yeah. pe point people towards the Comic-Con announcement of this, the panel that he did on it, because uh, Terry Crews is announced first to come out on this panel, and he comes out in full, like, wrestling form. He jumps on the table. He rips his shirt off. He does the peck thing <laughs> where he makes some dance, oh, and then wow. he sits down, and then Steve Austin just comes out and, like, gently shakes his hand and sits down. And I'm like, Steve Austin, come on. <laughs> you know how to do that, the entrances. But, like, it's... It's nuts how he's like, how do I bring in all of these different people that will bring an audience that people will really freak out about from this world? Like, it's brilliant. Yeah, and I, I think he's also purposefully kind of playing in the direct-to-video action realm, which had been blowing up um, people like Isaac Florentine working with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, and Dolph Lundgren, though, yeah, like, it's interesting. Dolph Lundgren, it, this is his first theatrical film since Johnny wow. Mnemonic which is wild to think of. So he's re rehabilitating some people. I think even Jet Li had kind of fallen by the wayside in, in mainstream uh, English language. But uh, he had such a huge tie to Jason Statham because he was in two movies with Jason Statham. So yes. that would have brought him in. Yeah. Yeah. So there's these guys who are like Jason Statham also mostly at the time was working in foreign like uh, European action movies. 
yeah so it's, it's just this kind of interesting mix uh to rehabilitate his own career let's be honest i mean he'd had john rambo he'd had uh, rocky balboa but neither of those were stellar um yeah i feel like sylvester stallone is a lot smarter he's one of those people just because of his affect and sort of his speech patterns similar to keanu reeves sort of gets thought of a certain yeah. way but you know he writes and directs like he's a filmmaker and he knows mm. about the business and he thinks in a very tactical way it, this movie watching it now very much felt like he kind of maybe studied what was going well in a franchise like fast and fierce or point break with cars uh as i still passive aggressively call it and <laughs> thought yep. let's do that but make it older so because mm. some of the things that have helped that franchise continue to grow its uh global reach and box office regardless of the quality of the actual storytelling as you go you know past uh the brian era it was really the diversity and they didn't really talk about it then but i feel like he noticed that so having uh more than just mm -hmm. a couple of scenes for someone like a terry cruz or uh jet lee i think helps what's less helpful is some of the generic bad guy stuff that was mm -hmm. oof back then but watching it now is yeah. just like like how about yeah. just pick one country to dunk on like or one yeah. to the whole <laughs> opening with the somali pirates is like oh boy oh boy oh yeah. my yeah. god that was yeah and poor david zayas it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's I'm, really all you can I say i mean he's he's like a, you know our cuddly teo from dexter he's not this guy like it was yeah it was tough it was yeah tough. yeah He's kind of the good actor too. Like you, you, you assume you're bringing him in for like the heat, and he doesn't really get much to do. Yeah, it's a yeah that that aspect is weird. I mean, I guess it's like trying to be an '80s throwback, but uh, that is where. And I also think some of the women stuff is a little cringe. Uh, the charisma carpenter yeah. stuff and and also sandra is kind of interesting because she's a revolutionary and she gets waterboarded and she she is much more passionate and kind of inspires them but she gets she doesn't get to kill anybody she, she's mostly just in distress now, cam sucks. i know you just watched uh rambo 2 like i just watched rambo 2 for the yeah. tv series and the parallels between these two movies is freaking wild to me here's the female revolutionary that he pairs up with who's gonna die and do that like it's or she gets captured in this one but it's the same thing so that has to inspire him to do whatever they're in the jungle here's that like the bad guy setup in the the yeah. uh, turncoats like it's almost the same movie it's wild how close they are yeah and i mean being expendable is the whole rambo 2 thing so it's like it's all inspired by rambo 2 it's weird but but at the same time i would almost say that as bad as the, the woman in rambo 2 is yeah. real rough but she gets to shoot <laughs> guys she is she's like a cool action star at least yeah i don't know and yeah the charisma carpenter Ugh, stuff is yeah. real brutal every time it's not comedy like i do think you uh in our research it's revealed that it kind of went back and forth between comedy and action and he wanted it to be more action but i think weirdly stuff like like the jet lee comedy is very good <laughs> like i think that the a lot of the silly comedy and the, just them busting each other's balls is like what i would prefer to any of the uh, serious stuff my life is difficult i need more money why is that i work harder than the rest oh you don't yes i do because they're taller mm -hmm. everything is harder for me why i get hurt the only is bigger 
Because I'm smaller. Mm. When I travel, I need to go farther. I know, because you're smaller, right? Yes. Petula, you mentioned that you wanted to, uh, that what you like out of these movies is watching the background people do things together who aren't the leads. What did, did that work for you here? Did you like the antics between everybody? And if so, what did you like? I'd say not as much because some of those people that I got really excited to see, like a Christopher Carpenter, who we know is great and can do comedy and not mm. just be decorative. Uh, I yeah. was so excited to see her at the beginning and then it was just, oh, Oh, it's going to be like that. Same with David Zayas and like even Eric Roberts. I was yeah. hoping for a little yeah. more for him to do. So I don't think it's the fault of any of the actors. Yeah. I think it was very much, you know, it's Sly and his friends and everybody else is sort of punch out the paper doll outfit and put it on and uh, we're going to move around you. So yeah, to your point, some of the best like bro down in the background stuff was involving Jet Li where, you know, he jumps to the car and like, I'm going to come with you. The, I have to mm -hmm. work harder because I'm shorter, you know, even like the little moment in yes. the fight where he <laughs> notices it's like low clearance and uses that to fight Dolph Lundgren's character. So yeah. I would say that they didn't, maybe they did a good job of casting some of those smaller roles, but the most uh, that any of them got to do was be smacked on the butt. Yeah. 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 Mickey yeah. Rourke, even I was like, okay, so this is that weird era where, okay, we've already had the beginning of the, the Mickey Rourke Renaissance. 2010 was around wrestler. 2005 is, yeah, it's yeah, after 2005 the, wrestler. is the wrestler and that yeah. was supposed to bring him back, but he was still a weirdo that nobody wanted to shoot with. Yeah. And uh, so this is the same year as Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 2 was John Favreau. And it feels like, I mean, Mickey Rourke has a really big supportive network of people that really like him, that obviously he's a fun hang. So they want him to do well. So they threw him Iron Man 2 and... But it's uh, but it's also Eric Roberts at this point needed a big career revival because he'd had a lot of really bad press and, you know, done a lot of really terrible things. And this is him bringing his buddy back for that as well. Yeah. So he's giving a lot of these people second and yeah. third chances. I think Eric Roberts falls in that direct to video. Like some of these guys are actually pretty big. I know one person who shows up and weirdly gets underutilized is Gary Daniels, who's one of the goons, the not Stone Cold Steve Austin goon that is British. He's kind of one of the best 80s British martial artists that had a lot of 90s direct to video stuff. I kind of was waiting for him to fight gently, but it never came to pass. Uh, but yeah, I think that Eric Roberts, like the weird thing is, is you're like Eric Roberts needed a win, but Eric Roberts also produces 90 uh, direct to video movies a year. He's that kind of guy. So I don't know. I, it seems like he's consciously playing in it but i also agree with you patula it's it's weird that you would not let him off the hook like like just just uh take uh take eric roberts leash off and let him be like a frothing at the mouth maybe my most have some fun, fun cameo moment was bruce willis <laughs> it's that's yeah. Yeah. yeah well i mean that's i'm sure the moment everybody True. freaked out is that not only do you have willis and stallone you've also got arnold schwarzenegger walking in in that moment and all i could think about was holy shit how much money did they spend on just that one scene for that like was this like a um salvador salvador dolly in uh dune sort of moment where it's like the most expensive thing ever mm. um apparently the answer is no it was only it was four hundred thousand dollars for bruce willis which isn't a ton of money when you think about what he's used to commanding. Yeah. Um, 
And Schwarzenegger did it for free because he actually couldn't take any money from making movies because he was at the end of his run for being governor. Oh, yeah. So from 2005 to 2010, he didn't take, he couldn't and didn't take any money from acting. Yeah, that's why I think that there's only two cameos. It's this and Around the World in 80 Days. I think he shows up in for free. But yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one. But but kind of delightful, and he ends up being pretty fun in the sequels. I seem to remember because they they both kind of show up legitimately for the second one. Not that I, I do think it's diminishing returns in my memory for I these sequels. I think Bruce Willis but, knew what movie yeah. he was in. I'm not sure that everyone else did. Yeah, and that yeah. it was uneven. It could have been worse. I think I remembered it being worse. It was just. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remembered it being worse. You're you're off the hook there. I I expected yeah, it to the, be much worse than it was. The back and forth though between like their garage slash tattoo parlor hangout and uh, mm. made up country that was a little bit of you know travel by map shenanigans. So that part when they were yeah. kind of laying out the decision uh, between the initial assault and then going back that was a little bit nonsensical. Yeah, and I think that that's where you see when you're seeing people like uh, like the Scott Adkins movies and the Isaac Florentine like modern direct to video action movies. They would just go to that country, <laughs> and then it would be a cool, you know, it'd be like the raid. Why not just make it one long action sequence? Uh, and then I, th I think that's Stallone getting a little caught up in the '80s and getting caught up, like you said, to trying to make the Wild Bunch or trying to make some emotionally affecting movie, which may not be his strong suit no but i time. think that's also like he feels like his audience is because so much of it is his awareness of his audience and that's what he makes his movie for like he went and mm. um was on that when he was on the trail for this he went and accepted an award i'm trying to remember where but like he made sure to thank the audience because he's like i wouldn't be here without you guys like he is so very aware of how to continue to play for his fan base and what his fan base wants and i think that's something he thinks his fan base wants especially after rocky right because rocky is an incredibly effective sure. drama which is why it won him an oscar yeah and i mean i i guess that's why creed is what got <laughs> him good because yeah. it's not him <laughs> it's somebody else knowing someone outside of his sphere saying this is what you maybe yeah. you're good I mean, at. Even, <laughs> maybe maybe admit you're an old but man even the casting of lundgren <laughs> is also a nod to the audience right because lundgren has always been his enemy so of course he's got to be the turn i mean in that he refers to uh, lundgren as being very cooperative <laughs> so i'm like i wonder i wonder yeah. what that means i've loved a little more on the production design costume side i feel like sometimes it's a very dark movie isn't very it? dark hard to see mm. it was giving long night game of thrones at some points making it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hard to follow the action some yes. of the the prettiest shots the the whole terry cruz moment mm. uh there were some nice shots with him talking to people in a car and the light would hit just perfectly gently seem to be really good at finding the light in some very poorly mm -hmm. constructed scenes yeah using his just general sort of balletic movement and those cheekbones to just find like a <laughs> slice of light yeah. where it didn't yeah. exist but yeah yeah it was I, harder I, than in in the made-up country they kind of just dressed all of the locals like house elves like yeah <laughs> yes very true mm. <laughs> yeah yeah, but I, yeah, I understand yeah. they needed all the money for all of the action stars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all, all the boys. I, I know one thing to bring up along those lines. I know I remember that a big thing that people hated with this movie was it was one of the big ones to have CGI blood 
because this is a pretty gory, bloody explosion movie. But I know that this was kind of the start of everyone being like, uh, we're all pretty used to it now, I think. Uh, and it doesn't look so bad, really, push come to shove. But I, I remember a lot of people just wishing that there was more practical explosions. But here's and what's so wild about movie. it is that there is multiple people were injured on set, including Stallone, who had set, had to have several mm. surgeries because of his injuries because of this film. Steve Austin almost got his leg blown off because he was too near one of the explosions. And he had a bag in his hand, which, thank God, took most of the blow and he didn't lose his leg. Uh, the woman who's playing the uh, the revolutionary, she's actually being waterboarded in that scene like she insisted on doing her own stunt which i'm like they have other people to do that how did insurance let you do that that's nuts yeah it's just it's so it's interesting to hear to hear that and part of it was that they rambo 2 the new rambo 2 not the old rambo 2 if you will mm. um that was seriously derided in the, in the media for being like almost a splatter film like grotesquely over the top violent sure. so when they went to do this movie they were like well let's first they started with like the satire and then they were like well no it's an action film it's making a proper action film but they cut two versions mm. of it they cut a hard r and they cut a pg-13 and they tested both and the hard r did better so it's really interesting of of like what people want out of what movie it's like because rambo you would think i want all the violets you know yeah though that i remember that one being quite over the top it was it, and especially f even for rambo you know rambo as much as he shoots everybody and slices himself they, it's kind of a james bond <laughs> you know they just fall over i can see that it's there's something you brought up earlier patula about it's watching bruce willis get hurt it's kind of the same thing for Stallone and it's these classic action stars that you don't really see in modern action stars where like they're always pretty and like even though they get hit, it never actually seems like they're hurt. Whereas these like 80s action stars, yeah, they get hurt. It's in So you feel that pain more. It's more believable. Oh, yeah. Well, they all looked like they were struggling except for, <laughs> except for Statham. Uh, you can see like kind of the grunts and groans, even getting in and out of vehicles. And yes. yeah, him getting into the <laughs> yeah. plane at the end, there's a lot of, oh, this is taking something out of your body. Like that I did appreciate. I don't know how much of that was actual performance and how much is just time. <laughs> and what happened to them on this film <laughs> well yeah that and i mean they've also done so many terrible things to their body over the course of their careers that i'm sure their bodies are not like our our bodies it's all the scar tissue right yeah for all we know Perfect. he really was letting mickey work tattoo him and just couldn't even feel anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right and on that note i am ending this episode hopefully this episode didn't take too much out of you patula thank you so much for being here i feel okay i don't think i'm gonna crawl through any decks anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Can you tell people how they can find you and your work? Uh, at inatif.com, on Twitter at obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and on Back Issue Bloodbath. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Cameron Maitland, thank you once again for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. And yeah, uh, like I say, lots of... Uh... Lots of great action movies out there. If you dig through the bin, we're in a real renaissance. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all about the VOD. And you can find many of them on mm -hmm. Hollywood Suite. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you can join us in two weeks for our final episode of season four. Alicia Fletcher and Cameron Maitland join me as we look at 2010 reboots, its Predators, and Tron Legacy. That's coming up in two weeks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. 
Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies and the series that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial-free, Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen on four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsuite.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cameron Maitland. Today's episode featured Cam Maitland and Petula Neal as guests. Supervising producer is Emily Gagne. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kumaria. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.